Great Gildersleeve. Lux <laughs> yeah. presents Hollywood. Now cut that out! King Bar welcome you to Curtain Time. Another fine summer evening brings out another eager crowd of theatergoers, and the lobby is packed. And here, making his way through the throng, is the well-known man about town, your host, Patrick Allen. Good evening. Well, Mr. Allen, what's the good word about tonight's play? It's a very charming romantic comedy, Myron, but there's the overture, so we'd better hurry inside the theater for tonight's production of Curtain Time. Tickets, please. Thank you, sir. Seventh row center. Seat seven and eight. Thank you. Well, these are excellent seats. But the lights will be dimmed in a moment, so let's glance through the program. Harry Elders, supported by the Curtain Time Players, is starred tonight in Practically Engaged by Helen Norris MacDonald. Mr. Elders will be heard as Steve Martin, and Jane Elliott is featured in the part of Sally Abbott. Curtain Time! There's the call for the first act of Practically Engaged. The scene is the waiting room in the office of Dr. William Abbott. Dr. Abbott's nurse, Mary Matthews, is seated at her desk when the door opens and an attractive young woman enters. Hello, Miss Matthews. Why, Sally, hello. I know it isn't office hours, but I thought I saw Uncle Bill's car out in front. Oh, he just came in, Sally. Oh, you look pale. Anything wrong? I'll see. I need to have my heart examined. Oh, well, then you've come to the right doctor. <laughs> Go right in, my dear. Thanks. Come in. Why, Sally. Hello, Uncle Bill. My dear, it's good to see you, but... What's the matter? You you look upset. Uncle Bill, do you have any of those candy pills you used to give me? Candy pills? Mm, I need one. <laughs> oh, come now. But Uncle Bill... <laughs> Let's look at you. My goodness, you're the prettiest thing in Abbotsville, even if you are about ten pounds underweight. <laughs> well, I'm glad you realize this is a professional call. Might it be in, uh, in any way connected with something I heard last night? What did you hear? The door of Steve's car slam over in your driveway. Oh, yes. And unless I miss my guess, one of you was good and mad. I was. But I thought that you and Steve were... We're practically engaged, I know. So did I and all the other dear innocents of Abbotsville. Well... Mother even spends her spare moments... You mean there's something wrong? Oh, something's terribly wrong, Uncle Bill, between Steve and me. Ever since the war ended and he came home, well, he's not the same. He keeps putting off our marriage. Yes, yes, I know. He's been in recently for a checkup. 
Uncle Bill, is there anything wrong? Oh, nothing but nerves. But uh, about your getting married. Honestly, Uncle Bill, he talks as though getting married and going to jail were the same thing. Well, apron strings can be binding, my dear. You mean that you also say that... No, 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 no. In fact, in all my experience, I've never found a substitute for them. Well, Steve was away. All I lived for was his return. I didn't even look at anybody else. Yeah, you don't have to tell me, Sally. I kept an eye on you. I used to say funny little prayers riding to work on the streetcar when I brushed my hair. Always with prayers that he'd return safely. I never once dreamed he'd change. And he probably hasn't, Sally. Not really. Oh, but you just don't know, Uncle Bill. And I saved all the money Dad and Mother gave me. Whatever I earned, I put into bonds to be cashed in later for our home. Mm-hmm. It's a wonder I didn't embroider home sweet home on a piece of linen and frame it. Now, Sally, don't be cynical. Oh, but Uncle Bill... Can you tell me why it's so changed? No, I could, but it would only complicate matters. Uh, just don't rush on Sally. Well, I... You take it easy and, well, I'll do what I can. Oh, really? Oh, you're an old darling. Now, see here, don't sneer that lipstick <laughs> over me. I can't stand it. Goodbye, sweetie pie. Uh, goodbye, Sally, and hold tight, sweetie pie. <laughs> Shall I call now, Doctor? Yes, yes, Mary, go ahead. Very well. There's nothing like getting a cure going as fast as possible. Can't just sit around and wait for things to happen. You've got Hello, to... Mr. Martin. This is Miss Matthews in Dr. Abbott's office. Yes, the doctor wants you to come in for another checkup at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock sharp. Yes, Mr. Martin. You'd better be here, too, because he's a perfect bear today. Well, Goodbye. No. Mary, what's the idea of telling people I'm a bear? Well... Some days you are. Well, that's not true. You know that I have a perfectly angelic disposition. Why, why, to hear you talk... Uh, hello. Sally? Oh, well, this is Miss Matthews. Yes, her uncle wants her to be in his office at 3.15. That's right. And tell her to be on time. He's a perfect bear today. Why... Goodbye. Mary, why do you insist I am, I'm a bear? <clears throat> I've always wanted to be called a wolf. Uh, you? Uh, a wolf? Oh, you're just an old Cupid. That's what you are. Cupid? Now you know I'd catch my death running around dressed like Cupid. Okay, Steve. So you don't want any fool female to map out your life for you, eh? That's exactly the point, Dr. Abbott. Well, that's a nice way to refer to my niece. Well, you know what I mean. Young man, don't you realize what a break you got? I got a break. Three years of war, you didn't even get a scratch. Well... And then having Sally here waiting for you, why... Oh, sure. The perfect setup. That's right, it is. A promising young lawyer returns from the wars absolutely unharmed, and a lovely girl is waiting to marry. Sure. Sally and I get married. I trot off to court every morning. We struggle to pay the installments on the house. We mow the lawn, bring in the milk. And every night you put out the cat and wind the alarm clock. Yes, all of which is as exciting as a bowl of mush. Now, see here... My niece is sensible, intelligent, and very, very pretty. Even if she is ten pounds underweight. I didn't say she wasn't sensible or intelligent or pretty. But darn it. Well, then. Well, I can't remember ever proposing to her. Steve, that's a very unchivalrous statement. Okay, but I come back to Abbottsville, and everybody thinks Sally and I are practically engaged. And there's no such thing. You either are or you aren't. 
Excuse me, Uncle Bill, but I can hear Steve's beautiful baritone all the way down the hall. You can You'll hear... never have any trouble making a jury hear you. Well, you have swell manners, walking in without even knocking. Well, You've been now... shouting my name so they can be heard all over town. Just the same. The only reason I'm not throwing an engagement ring in your face, Steve Martin, is that you never gave me one. But we've been... Practically engaged. <gasps> See, Dr. Abbott, what did I tell yes, you? Yes, yes, but we're not definitely not engaged now, and that's not all. Heavens, don't tell me that... I have a date with Dave Gray for Friday night. But... That ex-gob? Yes, General Martin, that ex-gob. And that means we're not even practically engaged anymore. For witnesses, I have my Uncle Bill and Miss Matthews, who has her ear plastered to the door. You get back to your desk, Mary, or better yet, get me some aspirin. Cupid's got a headache. <clears throat> and now, you two idiots... Just one idiot, Uncle Bill. I'm leaving. So am I. Well, if you're going now... Don't I'll... worry. If you're taking the elevator, I'll be only too happy to walk down. Oh, dear me. You're so thoughtful. And Uncle Bill... Yes, well, what is it, sir? I'll make sure that Dave parks the car quietly in the driveway Friday night so as not to disturb your sleep. Well, if he doesn't, I'll fire a shoe at him. I sure hope it lands. Look, you two. Clear out. Oh, help me. You both ought to be spanked and put to bed without your supper. Starring Harry Alders and featuring Jane Elliott. second act of Practically Engaged, brought to you by the makers of the new Coconut Ping Bar. In order to make things up between his niece, Sally Abbott, and Steve Martin, to whom she's been practically engaged, Dr. Martin got both to come to his office. But uh, it didn't work. Steve still doesn't want to get married, and Sally announced she has a date with Dave Gray. Well, it's now Friday night, and Sally and Dave are out dancing. It's swell being here with you, Sally. Oh, I'm having a wonderful time, Dave. You know, uh, I had it all doped out that you and Steve Martin... Don't say it, Dave. Huh? If you ever say the words practically engaged to me, well, it's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. Then, uh, you mean that, uh... Didn't I come here tonight with you? And isn't he here with Claire Fuller? Oh, gosh, Dave. Uh Uh-oh. So you do care for that ex-GIF? No, but... But I was in love with him ever since I was 16. Well, the Army's lousy with characters like that. But uh, you take us Navy guys. Oh, is that so, Admiral Gray? Why, of course. But, uh, hey, here he comes now. Oh. And look at that grin on his puss. Hi there, Dave. Mind if I take over? The Army always does, you know. Yeah? I suppose the Army rode their own little boats. Or did you swim all the way, Superman? Oh, will you two please shut up? Oh, sure thing, Sally. Well, it was nice seeing you, Dave. Well, of all the crust I ever saw in my life. See, it's nice dancing with you. Oh? Is it? Yeah. No more of that practically engaged stuff. Just good pals again. I know exactly how you feel, Steve. You mean you feel like that, too? Oh, of course. And you know, we might actually have gone on and got married. That's right. Dear me. Nauseating. Just imagine. Darling, you mustn't wear that shirt today. Dear, now you simply must get your hair cut. You're right, Sally. I'm sure glad you've seen the light. Oh, I have. And, well, while you were away fighting for freedom, I was home here rolling bandages. And 
Well, we certainly are entitled to something better than slavery. Slavery? Well, I must say that you're being highly complimentary. I've already ordered cheese sandwiches and coffee, okay? Good. I've got to get back to the office. Can't spend too much time having lunch, not even with a pretty girl like you. Oh, go on. You think I'm skinny. Well, you could stand about ten pounds, but um, come on, let's get down to brass tacks. Oh, very well. I, uh, I want... Sally, what's this I hear about this new personality of yours? Oh. Do I have a new personality? Yeah, there's a rumor that you spend all your time talking against getting married and settling down. All the things you were brought up to believe in. And so you... And so I've got a job for you. <laughs> I didn't know you were running an employment agency on the side. I am not, but uh, I understand you've taken up interior decorating. Is that right? Yes, that's true. Uh, Sally, I... do you know that little house down on Walnut Drive? Oh, do I remember it? I thought so. Seems to me, too, that you always got dreamy-eyed whenever we went past it. Oh, uh, you mean... When I was young, tender, and romantic. Yes. And, and now that you're falling apart from old age, uh, why don't you buy that place? Buy it? Mm-hmm. It's up for sale. Oh, doctor, let me feel your pulse. Look, Sally, it can't cost very much, and if you haven't saved enough money for a down payment, I'll lend you the money. Well, yes, but... I... Go on, fix it up. Then you can sell it for a nice profit and pay me off. Hmm. Now, maybe you've got something. Sure I have. After all, if you don't want to wash dishes and darn socks, well, you may as well be a real up-to-the-minute businesswoman. And after I get through with it, it'll be just the thing for some veteran and his wife. I can almost see it. You can? Yes, soft green curtains, rose gray hangings. Mm-hmm. Oh, Uncle Bill, sometimes I think you're a, you're a genius. Yeah, right, right now I'm a hungry genius. <laughs> the devil of those cheese sandwiches. <laughs> Well, Steve, what are you doing parked here on the hospital staff? I've been waiting here for you to show up, Dr. Abbott. Oh? Well, what's on your mind? You look troubled. Well, I... Do you know what the Dickens is eating Sally these days? Well, all I know is that I'd heard she's gone into business. Oh, it's worse than that. It is? Yes. She's become terribly sophisticated and, and sleek. Well, now, that is too bad. And she's horribly efficient. Hear me, that's an ugly characteristic in a woman. Uh, she used to be. Yes. She used to be so darn human. Yeah, you're right, Steve, but, well, I, I guess she's definitely the career type now. Yeah, I'll say. I also understand that, uh... Yeah? Well, they say she's doing wonders with that little house over on Walnut Drive. Just, uh, which house is that on Walnut Drive, Doctor? Third house down from Cloverdale, Steve. Why do you ask? Oh, uh, no reason at all. I was just curious. Just curious. <laughs> She'll take care of that. I wonder if anybody's inside. Sounds as though somebody's home. Steve. Hello, Sally. Steve, what are you doing here? Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not falling for this love net stunt of yours. I don't know what you're talking about, Steve Martin, but you're interrupting my work. Oh, that's too bad. May I ask us what brought you here? Oh, just curiosity. 
Say, you uh, don't look bad in that yellow apron. Thank you. Don't mention it. Are you uh, fixing this place up for that uh, ex-gob? Well, they think it was made to order for me, but uh, it's much too... Um... Much too what? Oh, it's too sugary. It's funny. I liked it. Well, I prefer much more modern. Well, look, Sally, you can't get by with that affected stuff. Affected? Why, I... This is a cute place, and you know it. That's a matter of opinion. Okay. Sally, you've been acting darn silly, if you ask me. That's also a matter of opinion. No, it isn't. Steve, if I'm annoying you, I promise you it won't be for much longer. What do you mean? I'm going to Hollywood to work for an interior decorating firm there. Hollywood? Yes, Seeing you standing here in that yellow apron, I'd hardly think of you well, as... Oh, a... I won't be wearing aprons anymore, Steve. I wear nothing but tailored suits and evening gowns. No frills, no ruffles. Sandy. I also plan to have a very severe hairdo. Sally, in that rig, you'll be as out of place as my great-aunt Emma would be playing third base for the Dodgers. Really? Believe me, I'd almost rather see you stay here and marry Dave Gray. If you don't mind, young man, I don't care for any magazines. I have work to do. I bet you've also got a date with that ex-deckhand. Why, General, how did you ever guess? You're psychic, positively psychic. You know, for some time now, candy lovers have wanted Mars Incorporated to make a new candy bar, a real coconut confection. Now, they have their wish in the new coconut ping bar. From the moment you first taste the new coconut ping, you know that you're enjoying the finest in coconut candy pleasure. For the new coconut ping is a rare flavor combination of a sweet, dark chocolate coating, a thick layer of fresh white coconut, and a creamy, soft nougat center. All together a thrilling treat. Right down to the last delightful flavor that lingers in your mouth. For a real taste thrill, try the new coconut ping. new coconut ping bar. When Steve Martin went out to see the little house that Sally Abbott is doing over, Sally told him that she's going to Hollywood to work there as an interior decorator. Well, it's now a few nights later. Dr. Abbott, Sally's uncle, and his office nurse, Mary Matthews, are on the lawn in front of the little house on Walnut Drive. Honestly, Dr. Abbott, this is the wildest thing I've ever known you to do. <laughs> You're telling me. Oh, dear me, it's dark out here. And spooky, too. Oh, nonsense. There's a full moon. There. All uh, finished? Yes. And tomorrow's Sunday. I'll get Steve to drive me past here on the way to the foster. Well, he'll hardly be able to miss it. Mm, hardly. What about Sally? Uh, she's going out of town for the day. Well, if you ask me, you're being too optimistic. Why? I don't think Steve will bat an eye at this time. Maybe not, Mary, but you've been a nurse long enough to know that a doctor must never give up a patient. Not while there's a least bit of hope. Dr. Abbott, 
You know I don't mind driving you any place you ask me to. Well, the, of course not, Steve. The thing I'm concerned about is... How long have you been feeling this tired? Oh, I'm all right, Steve. Well, sure, but... It's I'm... just that uh, driving tires me lately, and I thought you wouldn't mind driving me up to the Fosters while I check over old Mrs. Foster. But I'm worried about you, and... Well, what do you know? Hmm? What's that, Steve? Well, that's the little dump Sally fixed up so cute. And I was willing to bet my last nickel she was doing it for the Navy. Well, I'll be done. There is a for sale sign on the front lawn. Yeah, that's what I meant. <clears throat> well, looks as though she wants to sell it, Steve. Uh-huh. I guess she's really going to Hollywood. Yeah, you? that's the way it looks. You know, you should have seen her the other day in that yellow apron. I know. Sally's a type to be living in a place just like that, hanging out clothes and planting flowers. Sure, the old marriage routine. But, well, that ex-dex swabber would never have appreciated a cute little dump like that. No, no, I suppose not. Hey, maybe that's why she's selling the place. Because he insists on living in some stuffy apartment overlooking a vacant lot filled with tin cans. Maybe so. Hey... I wonder how much she's asking for. Well, I may be able to find out, Steve. Can you? Without letting Sally know who asked I'll be the soul of discretion, my boy. Of course, uh, I'm merely interested in the place as as an investor. Oh, yes, yes, I understand. Uh, By the way, need any money for the down payment? No, but thanks. Only uh, remember now, just tell her a veteran wants it. No name. It's a promise, Steve. A veteran and no name. Yes, Sally, he seemed like a very nice chap, didn't he, Mary? Oh, yes, Dr. Abbott. He struck me as the kind who'd appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to hear that because, well, it really is a precious little place. Oh, it's divine. Mm-hmm. I wonder how he heard about well, it. Well, now... I uh... haven't put it on the market. Golly, I'm not sure I want to sell it now that I've fixed it all up, everything. Now, he's pretty desperate for a place, my dear. He's practically frantic. Besides, you shouldn't let sentiment interfere with business. He also received the Purple Heart. Yes, he got hit on D-Day in Europe. Uncle Bill... How did he happen to come to you? Well, uh, well, somebody thought I owned the place. Your uncle also had the impression you wanted to sell it. Well, maybe I will, but I'm not in any hurry. The kitchen curtains aren't up yet. Did you meet his wife? His wife? Oh, yes, his wife. Well, did you? Uh, No, but but, but Mary did. Oh, yes, and the twins, too. Twins? Yes, two twins. And, And he... He limped terribly, Sally. He was wounded at Saipan. But Uncle Bill said he was wounded in Europe. Yeah, but Mary means the Saipan bone, Sally. It's between the tibia and the fibula. Honestly, I think you're both horrid trying to force me to to sell my dream. No, my dear. Sally, we all have to make sacrifices. Why, I felt so sorry for that poor sailor. Sailor? But you said he was... Well, uh, now now that I think of it, he didn't even mention what branch of service he had been in. Well, uh... He didn't have the money for a down payment, Ooh, did he? Oh, I've got the money right here in my pocket. Oh, that's terrible. Young lady, when you bought that house, you said you wanted to fix it up for a veteran. Well, do you or don't you? No, I don't. I want to live there the rest of my life with, with a parrot and a cat. That's a great big fib, if you ask me. You know darn well that you'd much rather have a husband than a parrot. Or a cat. And because you're unhappy, you're going to let this poor chap down. As far as you're concerned, they can all sleep out in the cold. His wife, the baby. Twins. That's what I said, twins. All right, all right, but stop fighting me. Everybody's against me, that's why. Mary, why did you have to drag in twins? It seems like a good idea. And that Saipan stuff was pretty dangerous, too. Oh, I know, but... Oh, by the way, Dr. Cupid, did you take down the for sale sign? Steve did, on the way back from the Fosters. Good. Dolly never even knew there was a for sale sign on the place. Oh, dear, I always thought being a doctor was tenuous, but this Cupid business really has me beat. Oh. 
What makes you think these are still your lilies? Oh, so Uncle Bill told you I sold the place. Uh-huh. Well, he made me do it. Was that so? Yes, but I haven't signed the papers yet. What? So far, everything's verbal. Well, uh, look, you're going to sign those papers, aren't you? Oh, I suppose so. Well, that's better. Darn it, I keep worrying about those twins. Uh, twins? They'll probably wreck everything. But, gee, twins are cute. Sally, aren't you, uh... Well, aren't you getting a little ahead of things? What do you mean? Well, I don't have any twins. I'm not even engaged. You don't have... Sally, don't you know you're now gazing upon the prospective owner of this place? You're the prospective owner? Sure. Well, Uncle Bill and Miss Matthews told me that... Well, they had to tell you something. I'll say they did, because if I'd known it was you, I... They knew you'd never sell this house to me. After all, you and I haven't been exactly, uh, shall we say, uh, getting on lately. Well, all right, then you... Yes, if you really want it. Great. There's just one thing. Uh-oh, what's that? I want to finish the kitchen curtains. Well, swell, go right ahead. After all, you can simply ruin a house with the wrong curtains. Sally, I... come back here a minute. Please, I, I haven't much time. What is it? Look, I couldn't let you sell this cute little dump to strangers. Well... And I just couldn't stand the thought of Dave Gray walking up this path and yelling, Hey, honey, is supper ready? Well, why should you care about that? That's that old married life routine that you don't go for. Oh, forget that. After all, maybe, uh, maybe... Yes? Well, I'm I'm darn sure I'd get to like it with you. Really? Mm-hmm. It's nice living here in a small town. And hearing the church bells on Sunday morning? Yeah, and the kids playing baseball on the corner lot. Hey, hold on there. What's the matter, Steve? Don't you really... I do. But while we've been getting into that married life routine, there's one little routine we forgot. Oh... Oh, Steve, somebody drove up while you were kissing me. Hey, now, what's going on oh, here? Oh, it's your Uncle Bill. Well, now, this is more like it. Why, why, you two look... We look as though we're practically engaged, don't we, Uncle Bill? Young lady, if you two aren't actually engaged, you certainly should be. Dr. Abbott, I want to ask you a question. Oh? Do you believe in short engagements? I certainly do. In fact, I suggest... Oh, uh, about the middle of next month. It's a deal. Good. And then, uh, oh, uh, about next year, Steve, I think you ought to add another room to this place. You do? Why, Uncle Bill? Because twins need a lot of room. That's why... Music is arranged and conducted by Bert Farmer. 
Harry Elders returns now with a word about next week's Curtain Time play. Well, next Saturday, Pat, I'm a mining engineer, and I want to marry a girl who prefers her career to me. <laughs> That's tough. Yes, and to make matters worse, there's a gruesome character named Phoebe. But uh, well, how do things turn out? Oh, that'd be telling. And all I can tell you right now is that the play is called A Ring for Julie. Well, it all sounds very romantic and entertaining. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks and good night, Harry Elders. Good night, Pat. And now I'll join this gay theater crowd as it leaves the merchandise mart. Many on their way to the glamorous after theater spots here in Chicago. Until next week, then, this is Patrick Allen reminding you of your date every Saturday. Same time, same station. And the makers of the new Coconut Ding Bar present... Curtain time! Remember, for a real safe thrill, buy the new coconut ping bar. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Ladies and gentlemen, the Railroad Hour. And here comes the summer show train. The Association of American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life, brings you the Railroad Summer Show Train, transcribed, starring Gordon McRae and featuring Lucille Norman, with the music of Carmen Dragon and the orchestra, script by Gene Holloway, and the choir under the direction of Norman Luboff. And now, here is our star, Gordon McRae. Marvin Miller, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight, we're going to ride the summer show train back through time and memory to a year that you lived yesterday. Tonight's destination, the year 1932. Just around the corner, there's a rainbow in the sky. So let's have another cup of coffee, and let's have another piece of pie. Trouble just a bubble, and the cloud will soon go by. Yes, 1932. The depth of depression. President Herbert Hoover was striving desperately to lift the spirits of the nation. And Mr. Irving Berlin set the president's advice to music. Mr. Herbert Hoover says that now's the time to buy. So let's have another cup of coffee. Let's have another piece of pie. There seemed little enough to sing about, but you sang anyhow. And the songs you liked had gayness and confidence, for the songwriters of the nation write music to lift the spirits when the days are sad. Rise and 
shine. Stand up and take it, rise and shine. Nice what you make it. If cool so and so could get you as he soon does, shout hidey hidey ho and do just as the moon does. Rise and shine. Don't be a mourner. Things are fine around the corner. No harm in trying it. There's nothing to it. You can do it like the sun. Rise and shine. When luck forsakes you and old depression takes you in tow, rise above it, laugh it off, and say what of it. Don't dream of quitting when trouble starts and hitting you low. Stick your chin out, make your mind up that you win out. The Navy gave you a motto that can save you, I know. So. Those were the days when all America sang love songs by Irving Berlin. days when the whole country was in love with a gum-chewing, rope-twirling cowboy who rode out of the West one day, poked America in the ribs and said, hey, did you ever stop to think of this? Uh, everybody's talking about uh, what's the matter with this country and, and, and what the country needs. Uh, what this country needs, worse than anything else, is a, a place to park your car. It took great wit to make you laugh in 1932, and Will Rogers was the man who had it. He laughed at everything and everyone, and he taught America to laugh at herself. Remember? It, it, it's a great country, but uh, you can't live in it for nothing. When you're on the days are In 1932, you dreamed a lot about places you never expected to see. And one of your favorite songs was about one of the world's favorite cities. It was written by Vernon Duke and E.Y. Harburg. And it was first heard in a show called Walk a Little Faster. April in Paris Chestnuts in blossom Holiday tables under the trees April in Paris This is a feeling No one can ever reprieve Charm of spring. 
On March 17, 1932, tragedy hit New York City. How do you like that now? Rain on St. Patrick's Day. Remember this day when Election Day rolls around, Katie. Remember it. On March the 17th, the mayor had St. Patrick's Day's parade postponed for 48 hours. Think of it. It's enough to make your grain turn white. Tis a great day tonight for the Irish, for the cause we fought for tonight. Yes, the Irish were in despair on St. Patrick's Day. And the husbands of well-read women were in despair most of the year. Lucy, will you put that book down and give me some dinner? Uh, just a minute, dear. I think the locusts are coming. To dinner? No, to the Chinese. This book was the number one bestseller all last year and all this year. Everyone owes it to himself to read The Good Earth. You're an old Yes, the book of the year was The Good Earth. The star of the year at movie theater box offices was Marie Dressler. And on Broadway, Fred Astaire sang and danced unforgettably to one of Cole Porter's most magnificent melodies in the new musical play, Gay Divorce, a song that will always be one of the nation's favorites. Like the beat, beat, beat of the tom-tom when the jungle shadows fall Like the tick-tick-tock of the stately clock As it stands against the wall Like the drip-drip-drip of the raindrops When the summer showers Yeah! 
America's strength is made of many things. Our people and our belief in freedom. Our resources, our mines and forests, farms and factories. Yes, and our transportation. To meet its peacetime needs, America requires transportation capable of moving at low cost products of every sort between all sections of the country in all seasons of the year. This means railroads. To meet the demands of defense in time of war or threatened war, America requires transportation which is not only adequate in capacity and low in cost, but is also economical in its use of manpower and materials. This, too, means railroads. In World War II, the railroads were called upon to move more than 90% of all the nation's war freight and 97% of organized military travel. Since the close of that war, the railroads have greatly improved their plant and equipment. They have put into service thousands of new, more powerful, and more efficient locomotives. They have built many thousands of new, bigger, and stronger freight cars. They have improved their tracks and terminals, their shops and signals, every part of the railroad. To do this, the railroads have spent, since the close of the war, four and one-half billion dollars. And now they are spending still another $500 million dollars to build more than 100,000 new freight cars. And at the same time, they are stepping up their repair programs to increase the number of serviceable cars and, with the cooperation of shippers and government agencies, are working to make the most efficient use of every available car. Yes, in emergency, it is to the railroads that the nation turns for its basic transportation. And the railroads are pledged to all-out effort to do their part in meeting the nation's needs. And now back to Gordon McRae, Lucille Norman, and the summer show train's trip to the year 1932. I reach for you like I reach for a star, worshiping you from afar, living with my silent love. 1932, a year that you lived yesterday. President Hoover appealed to the nation to stop hoarding currency. Toscanini came to this country from Italy to conduct a symphony for the benefit of the unemployed. And a street beggar was picked up and searched in Newark, New Jersey. Captain, this man has $33,101 in cash in his pockets. It's my money. I've got a right to my own money. Where did you get all that money? I saved it. Once I build a tower to the sun, brick and ribbon and line. Once I build a tower, now it's done. Brother, can you spare a dime? Yes, a beggar was picked up with over $33,000 in his pockets. And when you read about it, you decided maybe you were in the wrong business. But you had faith in the future. And if you were in love, you sang a song that expressed a lot of things you found it difficult to put into words. A song that Edward Heyman and Vincent Humans wrote for their romantic operetta, Through the Years, which was adapted from Jane Cowell's famous play, Smile and Through. Through the years, I'll take my place beside you, smiling through. 
April 19th of the year 1932. You're with a group of people facing Governor J.B. Ely of Massachusetts. As you stand there, the governor is handed a gun. Uh, governor Ely, this gun was used at the Battle of Concord in the American Revolution. It may or may not be the actual gun that fired the first shot heard around the world, but when you fire it now, it will be heard around the world by shortwave radio. Are you ready, Governor? I am ready. Then, fire. The sound goes into the microphone and out across infinity. They hear it now in Holland, Java, Australia, clear around the world. And now, a second later, it is heard again in Schenectady. Radio has circled the globe in one second. <laughs> In 1932, the picture Love Me Tonight, starring Maurice Chevalier and Jeanette MacDonald, set the country singing its brilliant score by Rogers and Hart, particularly this lilting waltz song.
If you were a voting age in 1932, I'm sure you remember the year very well. You're now in Chicago, Illinois. It is July 1st, and the Democratic Convention is in its closing moments. The Democratic Party, on its fourth ballot, nominates for President of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt of New York! And later, at his inauguration, you listen to his words with hope in your heart. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nineteen thirty-two, eighteen years back into time and memory. Cradle me where southern skies can watch me with a million eyes, or sing me to sleep lullaby of the Nineteen thirty-two was the year Jack Sharkey beat Max Schmeling in fifteen rounds and became heavyweight champion of the world. It was the year the Radio City Music Hall opened in New York, and the year of the Olympic Games at Los Angeles. It was the year Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein saw their show, Music in the Air, open on Broadway, and heard this lovely ballad go out across the footlights to become a great hit. The era was sad, but the music of the year had gallantry and courage and beauty. I hear music when I look at you. A beautiful theme of every dream I ever knew Down deep in my heart I hear it play I feel it start Then melt
and gentlemen, for joining us. In just a moment, I'll tell you what we have in store for you next week. The Summer Show Train is written by Gene Holloway and brought to you each week at this time by the American Railroads. In times of peace, our railroads are essential in moving the great bulk of all the things it takes to keep the nation fed and clothed and warm and at work. In times of war or threatened war, they are indispensable to the very security of the country. Consequently, the railroads have spent and are spending hundreds of millions of dollars so they will be ready to meet the transportation needs of the nation, whatever they may be. Twenty-four years ago, Charmaine was one of the big hits of the day. And next week, the summer show train is going to take you on a trip to the year 1926 to relive some of its interesting happenings and hear many of its greatest songs. Songs like When Day Is Done, Valencia, and The Desert Song. So join us again next Monday, folks, and ride with us aboard the summer show train back to 1926. All aboard! Well, it looks as though we're ready to pull out. So until next week, goodbye. Tonight's performance of the Railroad Hour was transcribed in Hollywood. Gordon McRae will soon be seen starring in the Warner Brothers Technicolor musical, T for Two. The voice of Will Rogers was an impersonation. And now for Lucille Norman, Carmen Dragon and the orchestra, the Norman Luboff Choir, and our star, Gordon McRae, this is Marvin Miller with a hearty invitation from the American Railroads to join us again next week and ride the summer show train back to 1926. And now stay tuned to your Monday night of music on NBC. Risa Stevens becomes the voice of Firestone on NBC. Wheaties presents Dangerous Assignment. On stage tonight from Hollywood, Dangerous Assignment, another in the Wheaties' big parade of exciting half-hour presentations. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble. When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to end up with my having to decide whom to hand my gun to, the guy who's trying to help me or the guy who's trying to kill me. Morning, Commissioner. Steve, have a seat. Thanks. 
Ruth. Yes, Commissioner. Steve's here. How are you doing with this plane reservation? All set. And tell him I've even got a bottle of mosquito lotion for him. Mosquito lotion? Sounds like I'm going to get stung in more ways than one. Where are you sending me? Africa. Oh, great. Steve, you know how vitally important Africa is to most of the world as a source of raw materials. Well, we have positive evidence that certain interests have sent a man to Africa to conduct a hate campaign against us with the tribal witch doctors. Witch doctors? Now, look. Sure, it sounds fantastic, but unfortunately, it's true. And uh, you know how much influence those witch doctors have with their tribe. If they ever form into a block against us, the entire position of the United Nations in Africa will be in serious jeopardy. And most of the vital raw materials we get from there will be cut down to a trickle. Mm-hmm. Who is this visiting fireman who's stirring up the trouble? We don't know his name, but according to our information, two British agents have caught up with him and have him in their custody. At present, they're somewhere in the interior, heading for the Gold Coast. You want me to meet them there? Yes, at Fort of Sekondi. Your plane will get you there the day after tomorrow. Now, Steve, it's vital to us to find out all we can about the organization behind this man. We're depending on you to get the whole setup out of him. Lucky me, right in the middle again. When you get to the port of Sekondi on the Gold Coast, go to the Black Ivory Bar. You'll be contacted there. Now, Steve, get over there. Talk to this man and get enough information on his organization so we can smash it to pieces. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. Dangerous Assignment will continue in a moment. Now, here is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin. Begin a great day with Wheaties. Yes, if you've got a morning full of work tomorrow, get a breakfast full of Wheaties. Stride through the morning high, wide, and handsome with breakfast of champions. Begin a better breakfast with Wheaties and milk and fruit and see if it doesn't make a difference. See if you don't work better, work easier, and finish feeling fine with Wheaties to help. Because, listen, there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. A whole golden kernel rolled out flat and toasted. Yes, there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. That's why Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Whole wheat energy Wheaties have for you. Whole wheat vitamins and minerals. Protein, too. No wonder they can help make a difference. You try it. Try it tomorrow. See for yourself how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. That's the nice thing about my job. The commissioner always tries to make it sound so easy. All I have to do is drop over to Africa and talk to a guy who's been stirring up trouble among the witch doctors. Sounds like a cinch. But I've got an uneasy hunch that before it's over, some of those witch doctors will be stirring up plenty of trouble for me. It's Wednesday night when I get to Sakandi on the Gold Coast, and I head for the Black Ivory Bar. It's almost deserted. But down at one end, a girl raises her eyes at me briefly over her glass. But this is working hours, so I slide onto a stool at the other end of the bar, and pretty soon a fat little gent eases up to me. I have been expecting you, Mitchell. Oh, who are you? Ralph Degidio, the one who was to contact you here. Come. Where to? To a deserted warehouse at the waterfront. The two British agents are holding the man you seek there. Oh, why all this hocus-pocus? This whole thing must be, how you say, undercover. The prisoner has many friends who would like very much to know where he's been held. Okay. Well, how do we get there? I don't feel like walking much in this heat. Oh, this is but a short distance. Hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> you decided you liked this end of the bar better, huh? I decided maybe you'd buy me a drink. I'm sorry, I already have a date. You could do better, you know. I don't doubt it, but this is business. Suit yourself. All work and no pay, you know. <laughs> Friendly little town, isn't it, Degidio? <laughs> Indeed. Well, come on, let's go. 
much further is this place, the Gideon? See the small building we're approaching at the end of the pier? Uh, I don't see any lights in it. Uh, but of course not. The windows have been boarded up. Here we are. The door is around this corner. Come. There's no door here. No, indeed, Mitchell. Yeah, I kind of figured this could be a trap. Drop the knife. One more inch and you will be... Drop it before I break your arm. That's better. Now, you and I are going to have a little... Oh. He brings his knee up into my stomach and I jackknife. By the time I get my wind back, he's halfway down the pier. There's an old freighter tied up, swaying in and out with the tide. And just as he gets opposite, his foot catches on a coil of rope. He loses his balance and falls between the pier and the end of the ship. The girl in the bar, otherwise known as Alice. Well, thanks for that warning you gave me in the bar, Alice. I'm glad it registered, Mr. Mitchell. Yeah. The look you sent my way when you told me I could do better than DeGidio sort of started me wondering if he was the right guy. So I was ready for him when he tried to spring the trap on me. If you got my message, why did you leave it? Well, I figured I could get a little information out of him, but by the look of him down there, he's not going to do much talking. Look, uh, where's this guy I'm supposed to talk to? The one the two British agents are bringing in. I'm afraid that's going to be up to you to find out, Mr. Mitchell. What? I thought it was all set up. You're right. It was all set up. But they've run into trouble. And it looks like you're going to have to go into the jungle after them. Oh, great. What happened to them? Lieutenant Ted Vance can tell you that. He's waiting for you now at headquarters. Who's Lieutenant Vance? In charge of the local police. Come along. I'll take you to him. <laughs> Well, Mitchell, looks like you're in for a bit of hoop-de-doo. What's the setup, Lieutenant? Well, as you know, two chaps from our intelligence picked up this blighter in the interior and were bringing him down here to Secondi. Well, this afternoon, their native guide staggered in here, more dead than alive. He lasted just long enough to tell us that their party had been attacked in the jungle. By natives? No, although it could have been, the way that blighter has the witch doctor stirred up. No, the party was attacked by some, let us say, friends of this chap. I see. According to the guide, one of our agents was killed and the native bearers ran away. That leaves our other agent with us somewhere in the jungle with his prisoner. His friends are probably scouring the area for him right now. That's why there's a bit of a hurry up necessary. Now, uh, if you'll look at this map here. Righto. Here's the area where the attack took place. It's about a day and a half hike from here through some thoroughly nasty country. And you think Withers and his prisoner is somewhere between here and there heading this way? No, I don't. I think Withers realizes his chances of making it alone with his prisoner are pretty slim. I think he's holed up in that same area waiting for help. I see. That's a lot of jungle there. What do I use to find them? Radar? Well, before their guide left to come here for help, he told Withers the best place to hide. Now, you see this bend in the river, the little point of land that sticks out there? Uh-huh. Well, it's a natural vantage point and a lot of natural concealment there. With luck, you may find Withers and his prisoner at that bend of the river. Yeah, with luck. Well... I better get started right away. How many men can you give me? Well, that's the embarrassing part, old boy. What do you mean? I'm undermanned here as it is, and with the threat of uprisings, I've been ordered to keep every available man ready for action here. Oh, this is sounding peachier by the moment. So I'm supposed to sally forth into the jungle alone? Well, not quite. I can give you a native guide. Gee, thanks. I'm sorry. Orders are orders. Yeah. Hey, look, I've got an idea. How about lending me a few of your men just for a few hours? Lending you? I don't quite follow you, old boy. Look, I wouldn't have much chance in that jungle alone against those four rescuers, but 
If they weren't in the area, then it wouldn't be so bad. Oh, I see. You want my men to draw them off in another direction. That's right. We could all start out together, and then at the right point, my guide and I could get lost. The rest of the party would keep going in another direction. The rescuers might follow them. That would give me a little more time. At least it's a chance. Yes, yes. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it. I'll get three of my men, and I'll give you the best guide I've got, a chap named Mungo. We'll start in an hour. It wouldn't take a very sharp knife to cut this heat, Vance. Quite. And I can't say I care for these mosquitoes. <laughs> oh, your aim is terrific, old man. But these little fellows are nothing. Wait until you run into the kind that try to lift you off the ground. Well. Ah, we're coming to the river. This is the jumping-off point, Mitchell. Halt! Well, at least we've made enough noise for those four guys to be following us, if they're in this area at all. Yes. The rest of us will keep straight on along the river for two hours, then we'll start a wide circle back towards Secondi. Mongo! Yes, Buona. Take your orders from Buona Mitchell. Guide him to the bend in the river. Yes, Buona. We'll stay undercover here until we're sure the coast is clear. Then we'll ford the river and go up along the other bank. Right. Well, cheerio, Mitchell. Yeah, pip, pip, and all that. Come along, men. Here. We'll roost under these bushes on the riverbank for a few minutes. There we are. This ought to do. One now. Yeah. I hear footsteps. Where? Listen. Yeah, coming along the trail. See. There they are. Yeah. The rescue party. Brother. Six of them. That's even worse than we figured. Shh. They're following Vance's party, all right. Good. By the time they realize they're on a wild goose chase, I hope we'll be heading back with Willard and his prisoner. Okay, Mongo. Let's go. We can cross the river here, Wana. It will not come above our hips. Lead the way. And kindly avoid all crocodiles and snakes. How long you figure it'll take us to get to that bend in the river, Mongo? Well, we'll not get there before morning, Buana. Oh. Well, it's getting too dark to go any farther tonight. Yes. I'd better come here for night. Okay. We'll stay in these bushes. Yeah. Looks like as good a spot as any. Okay, put our gear here and wait a minute. Hey, what's that? Drums of tribe. What tribe? Friendly, I hope. Not friendly drums. Death drums. Oh, great. Probably one of the tribes this guy I'm after has been stirring up. Where are they coming from, can you tell? No, no can tell. Sometimes near, sometimes far. No yeah. can tell. Yeah, well, needless to say, they'll probably keep it up all night, too. Hongo hopes so. What do you mean, you hope so? When drums go, he's not bad. When drums stop, he's bad. Yeah, well, they can stop any time as far as I'm concerned. we better figure out a watch schedule. Mongo watch first. Okay. Call me in a couple of hours. Try sitting in the jungle at night, listening to a few assorted animals and tribal drums, knowing there are six armed men gunning for you. It's great for the nerves. But at least I've got Mongo, and knowing he's out there on watch is a big help. Finally, get drowsy enough to doze off. <clears throat> so 
Suddenly I snap out of it. At first I think it's a noise that wakes me up, and then I realize it's the lack of noise. The drums have stopped. There's not a sound. The whole jungle is quiet. Too quiet. Mongo, I head for the scream. It's bright moonlight now, but there's no sign of Mongo. Then I round the tree trunk, and there he is. He's lying on his back, and his throat has been cut from ear to ear. Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Well, sir, I'm all for it. I'm all for you waking up to breakfast of champions. Wheaties Milk Fruit. It's a combination to help you breeze through your morning's work with pep left over. It's Wheaties, the crisp way to get your whole wheat. Because, yes, there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. Got it? There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. No wonder it's Wheaties for folks with big things to do and places to go. No wonder Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. You try them. Get vitamins and minerals for stamina and vitality. Get them in Wheaties. Get protein. Get it in Wheaties. Get energy, whole wheat energy. Get it in Wheaties. Yes, tomorrow morning, shake out a bowl full of the crisp flakes, the golden flakes, Wheaties flakes. Pour on the milk, put on the raspberries or the bananas or whatever you like at your house, and then dig right in and know you're getting up-and-coming nourishment for an up-and-coming morning. There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. Sure, Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. You try it. Breakfast of champions. Breakfast for you. Now, back to Dangerous Assignment and Steve Mitchell. So, Mongo's lying in front of me dead and I'm on my own. Who killed him? Hostile natives or the rescue party? Suddenly I realize I'm making a pretty good target of myself standing in the moonlight. I dive for the bushes just in time. <coughs> There's my answer. The natives don't carry rifles. That means the rescue party has figured out dances in my decoy scheme and they're back on my trail again. I head for the river and wade upstream a couple of hours. I don't want to leave a trail for them if I can help it. Dawn comes and I climb out of the water. The bend in the river is just a couple of hundred yards ahead of me. I wait a few minutes, but no sign of anyone following me. Maybe I've given them a slip. Now my big problem is finding Withers and his prisoner. But it turns out to be no problem at all. I get to the bend of the river, and there are two guys in torn clothes fighting on the riverbank in front of me. Hey, stop that fight! What? You heard me, both of you. Cut it out. That's better. Now get your hands up in the air, both of you. I'll see here, old man. Oh, shut up and do as I tell you, unless you'd like me to let a little daylight into you. Oh, very well, but you're making a mistake. You let me decide that, what? Well, you must be the two guys I'm looking for. Okay, which one are you is with us? I am. I am. Well, now, look. I'm with us. You're lying. I'm with us. I tell you, I'm Shut up. Withers. So you're both with us, huh? No, he's lying. Well, it ought to be easy enough to prove one way or another. Withers is a British agent, and they always have identification papers. You. You say you're with us. Let me see your papers. Why, yes, certainly. I, uh, well, that's strange. I don't seem to have them. Now, wait. This other man stole them from me. I did not. Those papers are mine. Okay, Buster. Suppose you show them to me. Of course. I. It's... So you don't have them either. They must have fallen into the river during the fight. Oh, sure, sure. Now, look, for the time being, I'm going to call you guys Pat and Mike for the lack of anything better. Now, you, you're Pat. I say Mitchell. 
I don't mind being called Pat, but my real name is Withers, and I think this is all pretty silly. So, you know my name, huh? Well, Pat? Of course. You're Steve Mitchell, and you're supposed to meet me and my prisoner here. I see. You don't see Mitchell. This bloke heard me and my partner mention your name before his friends jumped us. That's not true. I heard it. Look, save it, both of you. Mike. I gather that's the name you've selected for me. That's right. Well, that's your privilege, of course, but I prefer my own name, Withers. Yeah, but you're Mike for the time being. I... Hold it. What's the matter? Listen. I don't hear anything. That's the point. Those birds stopped screeching all of a sudden. Yeah, someone coming. Okay, drop to the ground in those bushes, both of you. Uh, now, now, freeze. The first one of here lets a peep. Gets a hole in his head. But, Mitchell... Shut up. Yeah, the rescue boys. Oh, quiet. Nice try, Pat, but it didn't work. What do you mean? Breaking that twig to try and attract their attention. Well, that was an accident. Was it? But of course that I wouldn't do no an accident. He did it deliberately. Those men out there in the brush are his fellow agents. That's a lie. Keep your voices down, both of you. Come on, we're getting out of here. Now, just a minute, Mitchell. We can clear this up right now. This chap claims it's me. Very well. Let me ask him a question. Okay. You claim your name is Withers, old boy. That you're a British agent. All right. Who's your superior officer? Major Summersby in London. Huh. Sorry. Your information is a little obsolete. Summersby was promoted three weeks ago. Major Holcomb's in charge. Well, Pat, why, I've been out of touch with the Home Office for some time, but I can... No, oh, quite. All right, all right. Two can play at that game, my friend. Or you say you're Withers. What's your wife's name? Helen. It's Edith. Now see here. You I... see here, both of you. This is no time to be sitting around the jungle playing guessing games. Look, one of you is Withers, a British agent. The other one is an agent for another outfit, and he's been stirring up trouble with the witch doctors. Now, whichever one of you that is, has got friends beating the bush for him. Well, right now, we're heading for the coast before those friends catch up with us. That's a good idea, Mitchell. And get this through your heads. Right now, I don't know which one of you is which, but sooner or later, I'll figure it out. And in the meantime, I'm not taking any chances. The first one of you tries anything gets his head blown off. You got that straight? Okay, get moving. So the three of us start heading down the river for the coast with me playing a little game of who's who in my mind and getting nowhere. Night comes and we camp by the river. The drums start in again, which doesn't help my peace of mind any. The three of us sit there eyeing each other like hungry vultures. I sit there holding a gun on them, fighting sleep. Mike finally rolls over and doses off. Right now, I'd give my eye teeth to do likewise. It's been a pretty rough go for you, Mitchell. Save the sympathy act, Pat. Oh, no, I mean it. Pretty rough on a chap beating his way through these jungles without any rest. Yeah, rest. Oh, brother, could I do with about 12 hours of sack time? Yeah, nothing like sleep. You said it. Sleep. I... Mitchell? Mitchell... Mitchell, watch out! What? Get back, Pat! Back! Very well. I just wanted to see if I was comfortable, I suppose. Well, that was too close for comfort. Come on, both of you. You're going to sit back to back against this tree with your arms around it, and it's going to tie you that way. Now, come on over here, Pat. I guess you know who's who now, Mitchell. I'm beginning to get the idea, Mike. Thanks for warning me. I think this is a lot of foolishness. I thought you would. Sit down here. Okay. Stick your hands out behind you, both of you. There. Now, a couple of turns of rope, and I think you'll both stay put a while. Listen. 
Yeah. No drums. The last time they stopped, a guy got himself killed. What was that? I don't know. Sounds like it came from over near the river. I better have a look. I ease over towards the river. Nothing in sight. I start to turn. But just then, a guy drops out of a tree on top of me. He's got a... Not a native either. I knock him off. Then I spot his gun, but too late. Blood creases my leg. He aims again, but this time I beat him to it. He slumps over. Then I spot another guy slithering through the brush with a rifle pointing in my direction. I limp back to Pat and Mike as fast as I can. Mitchell! Mitchell, what happened? It's bleeding. Sure is. Come on, I'm untying you. But who were they? Oh, a couple of scouts from the rescue party. We gotta get out of here fast and quiet. Okay, come on, get moving. Look, Mitchell, can't we rest a bit? Been walking all night. Guess we'd better stop. Well, that's the best news yet. It's not good news to me, gents. What do you mean? Climbing up to the top of this plateau took what little strength I had left in my leg. Oh, so now we have to carry you, I suppose. Wait a minute. Look, down there, the rescue party. They're just starting up the plateau. Great. So they picked up our trail after all. Well, what now, General? It took us an hour to climb it. It won't take them that long. Still about three hours to the coast. The way I'm limping, it won't take them long to catch up with us. Well, looks like I've got to make a decision. What do you mean? I've got to decide which one of you is Withers and give my gun to him so he can get to the coast with the other guy. What about you? I'll try and find a place to hide until help gets back to me. Okay, I think I know which one of you is which. Pat. Well, congratulations, Mitchell. Mitchell, are you crazy? As I started to say, Pat, you're the wrong guy. What? No. Well, you had me worried for a moment. Mitchell! Pat, stop or I'll drill you. Come back here. That's better. Okay, Mike. There are three slugs left in this gun. One's for Pat if he gives you any trouble on the way to the coast. Here's the gun. Thanks, Mitchell. And congratulations. You'll pick the wrong man. You will hear the conclusion of Dangerous Assignment in just a moment. First, here is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin. Put the sun in the sky and have a great morning. Begin a better breakfast with Wheaties. That's right. You can feel well, look well, work well when you begin a better breakfast with Wheaties and milk and fruit. Whole wheat energy, whole wheat vitamins and minerals, protein too. High-stepping nourishment for a high-stepping morning. There's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. Yes, there's a whole kernel of wheat in every Wheaties flake. No wonder we say Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. You try it. Try it tomorrow. You're eating good to be feeling good. You're getting breakfast of champions. Try it. See for yourself how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Yes, you're not quite as clever as you thought, Mitchell. I must say you're very obliging, turning your gun over to me. I must say you put us in... Bit of a pickle, Mitchell. Maybe not such a pickle, Pat. You see, Mike, I had you pegged as the wrong guy right from the start. <laughs> of course. That's why you gave me the gun. Sorry, but your bluff won't work. Stand back, Mitchell. 
No, wait. I want you to be nice and close. There, that's fine. Close enough? Close enough. You said there are three slugs in this gun. One for pet, one to spare, and one for you in the stomach. Takes longer that way. So long, Mr. Mitchell. What? Empty! Sure is, Mr. You did have it figured out. That's right. Let go of me! With pleasure. Well, you just put back the ten years of my life you took away a minute ago, Mitchell. When you started to give that gun to Mike there, I knew my only chance was to make a run for it. Yeah. You know, there's one thing I'm curious about. What's that? This bloke was so clever with his answers, I began to find myself wondering whether I really was with us. How did you find out about him? Want to know a little secret? I didn't. What? Right up until the time I handed him that gun, I didn't have the slightest idea which of you was which. But you, you, you told him you'd figured it out. Sure, these guys operate a lot on bluffs, so I thought I'd toss one back at him. So let him think I'm smarter than he was. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. <laughs> All right, old boy. I can assure you I'll be the last chap in the world to put him straight about it. But I say we're, we're still not out of trouble. That rescue party's gaining on us. Yeah, we better get going. But your leg, man, you can't walk, walk fast enough. I know. That's where our friend Mike here comes in. Come on, let's bring him around. Mike? I don't understand. Oh, I've got a special deal lined up for Mike. He'll love it, I'm sure. He gets to carry me piggyback. Come on, let's saddle him up and get out of here. Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif, with music composed by Basil Adlam and conducted by Ralph Hollenbeck, and is produced and directed by Bill Karn. Join us again next Wednesday when Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell embarks on another dangerous assignment. And this is the Wheaties man, Frank Martin, inviting you to listen Thursday, that's tomorrow night, to Sarah Burner in Sarah's Private Caper on the Wheaties Big Parade. See you then. <laughs> Dangerous assignment came to you from Hollywood. Next, listen for The Falcon on NBC. Mm-hmm.